This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Made it back for another week, folks. Behind the Braves, here from live from the Braves Alumni Lounge. I'm Ricky Mass from MLB.com, alongside my my co-pilot here, Greg McMichael, director of Braves Alumni Relations. And Greg, we've got a real special treat for for Braves country this week with Braves Hall of Famer Dale Murphy. Uh, just to take everybody a little a little backstory of the of the recording of this, uh, you may or may not know Murph has a restaurant just across from the Battery here over at Cobb Galleria at, at the aptly named Murphs. And so we had about, it was about 15 of us, I think, went over there for lunch, a birthday lunch for a colleague of ours, uh, a fellow Vol uh, colleague of ours, of, of your fellow Vol. Yes. I'm a Virginian, but, but yeah, but the, <laughs> I needed to throw that out there, that it was one of your fellow Vols. Uh, but a group of about 15 of us went over there for, for a birthday lunch, and so we're in the back room there having our lunch, and we, we stayed afterward to, for, you and I stayed afterward when we recorded the podcast with him, but... What was great is we, you know, there's a big group of us. We order a bunch of appetizers and everything, and the door comes open, and in walks Murph carrying two handfuls of plates of, of, of appetizers, and he's serving us appetizers, which was just, which was just awesome. And I thought it was, it was kind of funny. He just goes, uh, you know, I had to get a license to be able to do this, and we all kind of laughed, you know, chuckled, and then he looks at us. He goes, No, really, Nancy and I had to go down to the the county building and wait for an hour to get our license and everything. So, uh, it, it was pretty cool. And if you haven't been there, definitely. Uh, Highly recommend it. The giant number three that used to hang at Turner Field, the Braves gave that to him, and now that's kind of a – it's almost kind of an iconic spot in that restaurant. I see on social media all the time people go in there and they, they take their pictures with that three. And if with any bit of luck, you might be in there when Murph is actually in there hanging out, and he's always uh, good, to, good to talk to. He's, he's such a nice guy, just such a nice, humble guy. Talk, Greg, talk about your relationship with Murph over the years. Yeah, Dale – Dale is top notch. He he's a first class individual, and um, uh, he is just as humble and uh, fun to talk to as you might think. You know, Dale um, doesn't have a whole lot of air about him. He you know obviously he was a great athlete, two time MVP, and um, but you can sit down and talk with him, and he's just as nice and generous with his time. Obviously, when you when you own a restaurant, you better be there, right? Yeah, that's true. You know that, but. Outside of that, he's always been really good to me. When I first started here with the Braves, working on this alumni association thing, and we're kind of get, getting it off the ground, he was a big help just with his input, but also with his time being involved in all of our events. We have alumni Sundays going on, alumni weekend. He was here for all those. And, um, you know, his wife, Nancy, too. I mean, they – they're just um, kind of salt of the earth people, and, and you want them around, especially 
especially uh, with Braves country. He, he's so near and dear to our hearts because of our past and what he's done. When I when I was growing up in Knoxville, when I'd come, I'd watch two teams. I'd watch the Cubs during the day, and then I'd watch the Braves at night on WTBS. And, of course, you know, Murph, that was in his heyday. And Murph was uh, – he was just a great player. I've since gone back and watched some of the highlights. I'd forgotten just how good he was in center field. I mean, think about the history of the Braves and how many good center fielders we've had when you think about – Otis Nixon and Marquise Grissom and Andrew Jones and now Ender and then but before that there was Dale Murphy and he had some wheels and he made some spectacular catches uh, catches and he was a former catcher which is pretty interesting mm-hmm. we get so, in that to that with yeah, him a little bit too yeah it's very interesting yeah and so Dale um Dale was uh was was a great part of those early years and and um but getting to know him as a man and uh after the career, he's just a, he's a special person as well. So we're we're really thankful to have him as one of our alumni, and to be involved in everything that we're doing here with the alumni association. Yeah, the, you know the debate with him uh, of being a Hall of Famer, being inducted into Cooperstown. You know he's he it's always kind of been quote unquote a borderline guy. And my thing with him, or my comment to that has always been. Say what you want about the Baseball Hall of Fame, but if there were a People Hall of Fame mm-hmm. for people in baseball and beyond, really, he he would be not only first ballot, he would be the first ballot guy. He's just that good mm-hmm. of a guy. So we're very pleased to welcome to Behind the Braves, Dale Murphy. 3-2 Atlanta, two men out in the sixth. High and deep to right field. This could be number 300, and it is for Dale Murphy. Well, welcome, Murph, to Behind the Braves. Um, we are excited to be here at your restaurant. Murph's over here <laughs> at Galleria. We just had a great lunch and uh, had our digital media staff over here and had a great time. So uh, we appreciate you having us over. Oh, and thanks for coming over. Yeah, so we're um, uh, we would love to just sit down and talk about uh, a number of different things with you. I was just checking checking you out online. I mean, gosh, <laughs> oh my gosh, you're everywhere. Which is amazing because me working with the alumni, uh, part of that's me. I mean, I get requests for you all the time. You've done some player appearances, speaking engagements, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And and so you're very active in Atlanta as well as around the country. Um, So we appreciate you being here with us. Well, thank you. And, you know, wherever I go, people – People always ask me about the old guys. You know, <laughs> what's Bob doing? What's Bob Horner doing? What's Glenn Hubbard doing? And I want to thank you for all that you've done, uh, Greg, for us, for me personally as uh, one of the alumni and uh, just for the whole group. Because I can always always say, you know, not a lot of clubs um, spend a lot of time and effort and uh, to, to keep guys, you know, in touch with each other. So... I appreciate what what you do, and uh, for us, and uh, so thank you. It's 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 great. Uh, saw Bob Horner a couple times uh, this summer, and um, you know, in case people are wondering, that's that's usually the first question. And <laughs> him and Claudel, what's Claudel yeah, Washington that's doing? Right. But anyway, I want to thank you. So uh, oh, it's welcome. fun to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. What? Uh, let's talk about Murphs first of all, like how <laughs> this came about, and. Uh, the turkey melt and the the boneless wings <laughs> oh, were good. fantastic. Good. So I'm 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 happy. I'm content for the rest good, of the day. Good. How did this come about, and how's it, how's it been going for you so far? Uh, it's been going great. 
Once SunTrust Park was was built, I think I had the thought of a lot of a lot of people did. Well, maybe there's something we can do around the you know around SunTrust Park. And I I had talked to the Braves a little bit about in the stadium, maybe you know because I know some ex players in some stadiums have a little barbecue joint or something like Boog Powell, I think it with the <laughs> with the Orioles and some other guys. And we we kind of threw around some ideas, and nothing really came together. And then uh, Matt Helms and Chuck Douglas, I got to know them, and knew that they had some restaurant experience which that was one of the first it's, it's usually the first question everybody asked me hey i heard you got a restaurant and uh do you know do you have anybody who knows what they're doing <laughs> running it and so i knew that they they had experience and then we just started looking around really just around SunTrust. we knew the battery was happening but but uh uh we weren't um thinking about going into the battery so we just started looking around here at the Cobb Galleria Center there was an available space so we said let's let's go for it and it was interesting about that time since the move to SunTrust Park the Braves gave me that big number three uh that that uh, was up in Turner Field uh with the other retired numbers and they gave that to me and we started thinking well let's you know let's start adding some memorabilia and some things and and that big number three that the Braves gave us uh, has been a real fun vocal uh, focal point for pictures and things and anyway we so we started the restaurant and uh, just couldn't be more pleased we have good food um it's fun to reconnect with braves fans we're heading over to the ballpark and we have people from all over the world uh coming to the Cobb galleria center for conventions and meetings and conferences uh, they have the biggest knife show for instance called the the blade show in the world our first customer here was from Australia. Wow! And uh, uh, when we opened up last year, so anyway, it's been a lot of fun. I I have fun on online on Twitter talking about our food and our fried cheese curds, <laughs> which uh, uh, my partner Matt is from Wisconsin, and he said we're we're going to bring cheese curds to Atlanta. So uh, it's been, just been a lot of fun. The only thing I really am responsible for is the fried okra. I said we ought to have a side of fried there okra, yeah. and they said okay, let's do it. But you it's, think it's you been a lot of fun. You'd think you're from the South. Somebody <laughs> got a fried egg on my burger. That's right. That's right. Stuff. It's been a lot of fun. Well, um, I was going to say, Matt, I met Matt uh, before you guys. You might have been talking about the restaurant, but I met Matt because he came to Fantasy Yeah, camp. right, exactly. So we had a good exactly. time down there. I'm sure he told you all about yeah, it. Yeah, for and sure. Of course, you've been down there with us, Fantasy yes. Camp. And Fantasy Camp's this, fun. This will be our last year in January at, at the Orlando facility, and then That's we'll be right. moving to Northport. That's uh, right. Well, I had a great experience there. Everybody has a great experience there, and, and we've had a number of, of Fantasy Camp alumnus, alumni come through Murphs here. Oh, yeah. So it's been fun to reconnect with them. But uh, that's right, the new uh, Braves facility, Northport in 20 uh, – well, we'll that would be 2020. We'll, we'll play the first game at the the last game of spring training in 2019 – We'll play in Northport. So oh, the great. Will That's be done. exciting. And then we'll have all of spring training there in 2020. 2020. So, well, let's um, shift gears a little bit because obviously you, you're Braves legend. You've been around the Braves organization for a while. Like I said, you do a lot of speaking. You've got uh, your webpage. Um, you've got a lot of stuff on your website. People can c connect with you. And um, DaleMurphy.com. DaleMurphy.com, Dale yeah. Yeah, and then you just started a blog. Um, and I was just going to read through a number of these things. Now you're, we can call you a restaurateur, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. I guess that's the okay. right term, right, Ricky? Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that works uh, for me. Yeah. I, I wrote down blog aficionado. There you go. <laughs> All right, speaker, author, you've had three books? Yes. Three books, okay. I had Any a lot. Any bestsellers? Of, I have, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, let's be let's be honest, guys. I have a lot of help. I'm I'm yeah. I'm so I Nancy, do. Nancy's yeah. her name. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of help. It's your as your you, wife as you is know, a saint, especially Greg. <laughs> a lot of help in all areas of my life. Nancy's a really good writer, so I always have to say, yeah, I I wrote a couple <laughs> books. People can't see my air quotes there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Nancy's helped me with those things and with the blog as well, and uh, it's been fun. Uh, you know, I, I I enjoy getting out there and saying things. Twitter, I've found, is not the greatest place to to explain things a little bit deeper. So that's you know, I've tried to I've started and stopped with the blog. It's kind of it's tough to keep. It's you know, it's a challenge to keep going every every week. But I like the little bit longer form. If I have something I want to explain a little bit deeper than Twitter. But mm-hmm. I enjoy Twitter. I enjoy all this new social media stuff. So it's been fun to, to be out there, so to speak. Yeah, well, talking about all your ventures, you recently uh, you joined The Athletic <laughs> as a contributor there, and your first your first article was, was fantastic. And I wanted to just Thank get you. dive into that a little bit if we could. You talked about the Ronald Acuna, Jose Urania situation and the – I'm gonna, I'm doing the air quotes now yeah, – the yeah. unwritten, rule, unwritten rule, the unwritten rules of baseball. And I, I won't spoil the whole thing. I highly ever, recommend everybody go read it, but you – just oh, a little can, quick is that's okay. don't worry about spoiling it. Uh, we can talk as <laughs> much as you want about it. Yeah, well, I just go to theathletic.com if you want to read the whole thing. But yeah, no, I'd be happy to talk about it. Just one little quick uh, quote from it. In the end, these types of plunkings have no place in our game. They're rooted in bluster and bombast. Did I say that right, Greg? Bombast? Does that sound bombast? Good? Bombast? Yes. That's a big uh, word for me. Good to me. <laughs> okay, I'm from Knoxville. I, you know, I, I'm from the mountains say, of Virginia. I got it a little bit differently. Okay, bombast from a bygone era and serve no purpose. So just uh, just dive into that. Your whole analysis, yeah. especially as a guy that's quote unquote old school, like uh, your analysis of that whole situation. Well, and and for the article, I did. You know, when I broke into the league, it was Don Drysdale and God, Bob Gibson. I didn't face those guys, but. The, that was really the mid to late 60s, and I broke in in the late 70s. So that, that wasn't, I wasn't too far removed from hearing about Gibby and, and Don Drysdale throwing at guys. And so all I did was Google it, and there were a number of articles that, that pointed out they didn't really do it as much as they said. It was, it was more of a little bit of bluster. And, and uh, uh, I read an interesting article about Bob Gibson was interviewed and someone said, oh, I remember, you know, when you used to knock everybody down and he started, is, is that what I'm known for? Is it just hitting guys? And so it, there was kind of this thing. And when I played, you know, you slow a guy down by hitting him. <laughs> and I think even Keith Hernandez, you know, mentioned it got, it got a lot of play was, yeah, he's hot. You got to hit him. And so I started just to think about that a lot. And, and it's just not a good philosophy and and there's still part of it in some pitchers' DNA that that happened that night with Acuna. The guy's too hot. We got to hit him. Well, it, it, it you don't have to slow pitcher hitters down by hitting them in the back. It's just it just is not. It doesn't need to be there. You just got to learn how to pitch. I mean, they were throwing him fastballs first pitch right down the middle for about four straight games. Eventually, you might want to try something different, and it doesn't have to be hitting him. Um, I understand guys are going to get hit. Um, that's part of the game sometimes is being up there and knowing this guy's a little wild. You know, I might get hit. Or or he my, – my other point is I, as a hitter, um, always had a tough time naturally from guys that could pitch to both sides of the plate. Not that they hit me, but that would pitch in or maybe pitch about six inches in. 
So it got me. To, that's what pitching is. It's not drilling guys in in the back because they hit a couple home runs. It, it it's not happening that much. But I guess also what was interesting to me, it didn't really happen as much as we talk about it in the old days. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of one of those things I wanted to to talk about because uh, you know you you hate to see things that are just happening. And it is a dangerous thing. I know guys are going to get hit. Every sport has its moments where there's some, you know, physical danger possibly. But just this thought or kids seeing, well, if this guy hits a couple home runs, you know, I need to hit him. It's just – it's not true. It's not how you, you're you're going to be an effective pitcher. And um, uh, it just is, you know, something I wanted to, to address. I I mentioned in that, that blog and that, that article that – John Burkett, who led the league, I think, in wins in, ni- in the early 90s, one, you know, it's not a, maybe a household name, but he was always a guy that just came to my mind. And there was one of our alumni. Yeah, John that's Burkett. right. That's right. Played for the Giants. That's right. He, he would crowd me. He would pitch me in. And a lot of people will just say, why do you stand so far away from the plate? It's because I like the ball away. But he knew that I to be effective and to get me thinking in, he had to he had to do that. He was just one of those guys that came to my mind uh, um, that he knew how to pitch. You pitch in, you pitch away, you pitch up, you pitch down. Your best weapon is not just hitting guys in the middle of the back with a 95-plus mile-per-hour uh, fastball. And plus, you know, I'm rooting for Acuna. I just didn't like to see it. Yeah. <laughs> well, from a pitcher's perspective, I never was around circles – where we talked about hitting guys because they they were hitting home runs. The mindset was more of when a guy is too comfortable at the plate, which means he's swinging so comfortably, he's not worried about anything, you have to get him to move his feet. And the only way to get a guy to move his feet is to pitch him in. And so sometimes you go in a little further to get him to move his feet. Because if he walks up there, not a thought in the world about you coming inside. You're going to do what Acuna did. That's right. Hit a home run every That's night. right. <laughs> so, so the mind th- yeah. the only time we ever talked about drilling a guy was when number one was he drilling our guys, or or is he is he showing me up some some way around the bases, or did he do something to to show me up where I want him to know that that's not acceptable? But other than that, as far as a guy hitting, we always just wanted to make him uncomfortable. So it's hard to get into the pitcher's it, yeah. mindset of what he was thinking, whether he was trying to knock him down or whatever. But I guarantee you nobody felt comfortable with Bob Gibson on the mound. Nobody right. felt comfortable with Nolan Ryan on the mound because those guys pitched in. They pitched in, and they hit guys. And then as, as, as I Googled some articles about him, I think there was one year that Gibson led the lead or something like that. You, you would have think from talking about Bob Gibson is that he led the league every year and hit – Hitting guys. Yes. It wasn't true. No. You know. But Getting people out. He got people <laughs> out. And why? Because he pitched inside. Right. And so that's and, – and so now they're throwing fastballs down the middle to Acuna. He's hitting home runs. I'm like, okay, now we're going to hit him? It's like, wait. Yeah. It, it's not a good – it's not a strategy. No. You know, and I and, uh, and, uh, just hated to, to see, see that happen. And I don't, I, didn't, I don't want people and young pitchers to think, well, that's my strategy. No, you're you're not going to last very long if 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 your strategy is to hit people. Yes, you're going to hit people occasionally, but that's not a good strategy. Right. 
That's a good point. Yeah. Well, how I mean, how many instances were there? Were how many times did you go to the plate knowing I'm getting drilled because this happened yesterday? Or this happened last season? Or against how many Gla- times against Tom Glavin? <laughs> yeah, and we, we I wasn't going to go directly have, we to it. We don't have time. But, to, I mean, oh. <laughs> it, it, yeah. not very often. Yeah, as Greg mentioned, there there are some things that are really hard to get into the un the the. Uh, it just those, those all kind of situations they they do happen. I think they're relatively few and far between a little bit more um and and I think some of the the things are changing for the better as far as um showing up pitchers greg would i I don't know you're a pitcher uh but from a baseball fan standpoint, I don't really have a problem anymore now with bat flips. It used to be a big serious issue. But I also think I mentioned in that blog, I was around when the high five was invented. We were afraid to give high fives to each other. Yeah. We definitely did it, didn't do it at home plate because that was <laughs> showing the pitcher up. I mean, I, I think baseball and the unwritten rules got to loosen up a little bit because it does, it does show more personality. Yeah. And, and it's changed. And Sports center. Yeah, that's right. You're on Sports, <laughs> sports Center, but, Center but we got we do have to market the game. The game is different now. I think young people need to see some personalities, and I don't have a problem with that. So, uh, yeah, the, there there are yeah. It, anyway, well to, well, to keep in mind, my whole career, I pitched eight years in the big leagues. One time was I required to knock somebody down, and yeah. that was because he was knocking our guys down. That's one. T- I mean, I pitched in over 600 yeah, games. Go. Yeah. So one time out of all eight years. Yeah. So it, it didn't happen a ton. Starting pitchers made a little bit more frequently. I was pitching towards the end of the game. But, yeah. But, but it, yeah. It, it's – I think one of the things I wanted to kind of think about and was that does this really happen as much as, you know, it, and it doesn't happen that much. You said one time. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. kind of rare. Right. And – but guys are going to get hit. Guys are going to pitch inside. It, the old rule of thumb was if you don't know how to pitch inside, which isn't easy, because you got you you know you may hit a guy, but you're going to be an effective pitcher if you can use both sides of the plate. And occasionally you're going to hit people just because you're going to lose control. But uh, I I there there I I can't really come up with a a whole bunch of times where oh I'm going to get hit this time. It mm-hmm. just it's just um, more complicated than that, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a yeah. little more complicated, and it didn't happen that much, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Well, to your point, and this was when, you know, I was watching from the, the press box the night Acuna was hit, and, my, you know, your first reaction for me was, you know, his health. It's like, okay, how bad is this? Is uh, You know, you had flashbacks to Freddie last year with the wrist or wherever, right. wherever you know, Acuna was hit. He was just worrying how serious his injury. Um, no, number two, I'm you know, thinking, okay, how long, how long is he going to be out, that sort of thing. But number three, uh, beyond that, because obviously health was most important, I was concerned with, you know, this kid, he's 20, and he shows not only is he really, really good, which breaking news on that one. I know I'm really <laughs> going way out on them. Acuna's good. But he has so much personality, and he yeah. plays the game like a kid. And the bat flips and the flare and the, the high fives and the jumping up out of the dugout, that's all part of that. And my thought was I, I hope that this doesn't – I don't want that diminished. The people let's – in addition to him I being a fantastic player – Fans love him because of his his personality, also, and I don't want that to be knocked down at all. I don't mean that no, I, in a pun punny way or anything. Right? No, I, I agree with you. It, it's a different era. Um, as I said, I, I was a little nervous about giving a high fives at home plate after a home run at one point in time. I mean, that's ridiculous. We had to go into the dugout and shake hands. That was about all you did 
Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Yeah. Don't do. You know. Put your head down mm-hmm. and run around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And don't show me up out there. You know, it's different now. Peep. Pe- we got to bring young players to young, young eyeballs to this game, and kids want to see some personality, and they want to. You know, it. It. Baseball, I think, has unwritten ruled itself <laughs> into <laughs> diminishing personalities out there and exuberance. And I agree with you. You don't want to see a young player that has a little personality and some exuberance to, to have him stop that because he's going to get thrown at. That's ridiculous. We, we, we are competing in an era for eyeballs on this game with a lot of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we need personalities. We, we need bigger personalities. Um, and I think it's good for the game. Well, switching gears a little bit, I, I did want to talk a little bit about family life because I know family's big for you and I got to tell you a story you kn- I don't know if you ever knew this but when I first made the team in 93 I was coming right out of the minor leagues out of spring training and so my wife and I probably about almost towards the end of the season we had enough money in the bank to be able to buy a home or at least put a down payment on the home so one of the real estate ladies taking me around Pat Corrales's wife and, and we show up at your old house in Roswell in Roswell in Roswell and they're like, well, you know, this is Dale Murphy's house, and you might be interested in that. So I'm going, it is a dormitory. You had how many kids? <laughs> nine, nine kids? I'm like, I don't have enough kids to fill yeah. up this house. <laughs> oh, you had nine man. kids, right? Eight. Oh, eight uh, kids. I'm sorry. Uh, eight but, kids. Uh, yeah, and Maddie, uh, Chad, my, my uh, Chad was born. I, you know, my first full year was 1978. Got married in 79. Chad was born in 1980. And our daughter Maddie was born in '93, the year I retired. So when I think of what Nancy did during my career, oh my gosh! I mean, I I don't know how she did it is is the least I could say. But to put up with me and having you know my ups and downs and slumps and good times and and so, uh, but yes, definitely we we're in that Roswell house for for quite a few years. I think tw- and then towards the um, end of my career, we bought a farm down in uh, in near Noonan in Grantville. Uh, but uh, y- you know what's going on with that house in Roswell now, Greg? No. It's not there. Townhomes. <laughs> oh, well, that's not surprising. Yeah. That was yeah. near Avalon, right? Yeah, that's right. Oh. Well, yeah, um, a little would it be west of that. So In the, in the Milton area. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your kids. I know you've got kids all over the place, but you've got some that are, that are in sports. Yeah, well, um, I did. I ended up. People always say, "Well, you know, any kids playing baseball?" I ended up with some football players, uh, but they're they're uh, uh, done at the moment. Sean uh, was drafted back in 2008, uh, um, and Jake was. Uh, see, he finished about three years ago. He was in camp with the Raiders and the uh, and the Bengals, and then McKay was just in camp this year with with the Rams. And, uh, um, but r- right now, um, Jake and, Sh- and Sean are, uh, are done playing and Mc- McKay's still kind of on the bubble, staying in shape, seeing if he gets a call. And, uh, I got a professor, I got, um, um, I have an artist, <laughs> I got uh, three football players and yeah, we kind of run the gamut in uh, all kinds of things. The kids are really, uh, into all kinds of different things and they were into sports and liked baseball but I always tell parents you know you don't know what they're going to do give them a chance to play ball or to play sports but they could be musicians just give them a chance and 
And so our kids have gone all kinds of different directions. I, I saw that Maddie had even written an article about you. Yeah. What was that all about? I th- my last, uh, my last uh, it was really a sweet time. My last uh, year of eligibility for the Hall of Fame on the regular ballot, my kids kind of chipped in and did a few things. Chip, my oldest son, Chad, wrote an article. My youngest, uh, Maddie, wrote an article. Um you know about their perspective of me and what they've been through chad of course was through my career maddie was born the year i retired and uh, taylor did a really nice thing he went online and started a petition and uh what was really cool about this online petition is after your your time is over they will send you a printout of everybody that signed it so uh taylor presented getting choked up uh taylor presented me with you know all these signatures of people across online that that were supporting my hall of fame candidacy and things like that so wow, that's that, and i think that's the article you're referring yeah. referring to from yeah Maddie. my dad talking about yeah. how great my dad is yeah, yeah it was really a, awesome it was really a, a just a, a really sweet moment well, I was one of those names on that petition. Thank I, you. I, I was indeed. I actually was. I remember when he put that out, and yeah, that was such it was a really it was such a cool thing. I mean, whether you make it or not, to me, I thought, and I st- we still see it now with fans online, just the support for you out there, that that people that still want you in there. I mean, Thank it's got to be just obviously you want to get in there, but the, to see the support you have out there it is, is overwhelming. Right? It really, I don't even know how to put it into words. It was a, a special moment, and uh, my last year of eligibility on the. The regular ballot. The Braves were very supportive. John Sherholz wrote a letter, and uh, and and so it was a it was a really fun moment. I'm still you know get a lot of support. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I I I knew that when I retired, I wasn't going to be like Chipper going in, uh, you know, uh, on the first ballot. That if it happened, it was going to take a while. I'm I understand that, and I'm just thankful to to be considered. Uh, they've changed the voting a little bit. Um, um, Jack Morris and Alan Trammell went in last year from the 80s, kind of an 80s, uh, 80s guys. And so they've changed it a little bit to give us, you know, a little more exposure and a little different opportunity. So I'm in this era, the, I think it's called the modern era, uh, the, the, my name will come up every couple of years as opposed to yeah. who knows when. But anyway, it's been very right. nice. Right, and I, I contend that probably – we have a little bit of Braves fatigue at this point. And, and Interesting, so yeah. I think it'll come back around because I know Andrew's in a very similar boat that yeah. you're in. And um, But I wanted just to read off um, and just a little bit about, obviously, a uh, great career, but I wanted to read off just a few of your accomplishments and just get your take on what you feel is probably uh, what means the most to you out of it. So so I get, I get you down, and correct me if I'm wrong, seven-time All-Star, Five-time Gold Glove, two-time National MVP, Braves Hall of Famer, and when people described you, this described you as a five-tool player. Obviously, you went from being a catcher to center fielder, which is no small task. But you had some wheels. When I saw you move around the outfield, man, you looked pretty good. And and going up over the fence, I mean, we've had some pretty good center fielders over the years, right? I mean, Marquise Grissom, Otis Nixon, Andrew Jones, Ender, yourself. I mean, you're right there in that category because I, fortunately, I had I I did get to play with Marquise. I did get to play with Otis. I did get to play with Andrew. So I didn't get to play. I watched you growing up, but I don't remember seeing you 
the same way because it's impossible as a fan or, you know, on TV to see the same way that I saw as a player these other guys. But when I watched you move and watched you play, man, you played a, you played <laughs> really good center field. Thank and you. And out of all that, what, what what means the most to you as a player when you think back about your career and you you think about these different accomplishments? What was the what was the toughest thing, but what was also the most satisfying thing? Well, people first of all, people say, well, that must have been a tough career move going from behind the plate to the outfield. And I know it, it doesn't happen that often, but I am just so thankful because if people remember those days, I wasn't catching that well. I was throwing the ball. I wasn't very accurate, had a little throwing issues. They moved me to first. That's, that's, that's glossing over it really fast. Putting it nicely. <laughs> well, then Bobby moved me to first base. And I instantly learned that, you you know, if you want to hide, quote, unquote, somewhere, you don't hide at first base. I think I led the league in airs there. And then, uh, and I, I remember Doozy, Bobby Doos, always saying, Merv, you always say Bobby Coxie moved you to the outfield. He goes, you know, it was my idea. <laughs> and so they were sitting around in the winter probably of 79, the winter of 79, 80, trying to figure out what to do with me. And Bobby called me and said, we're going to move you to the outfield. What do you think? And I was like, well, I, I know I don't have a choice. So uh, uh, it, it was something I just so bought into because I knew it was my career. I didn't, and I, wasn't, I knew I wasn't slow. I didn't have to get great jumps, but I knew I wasn't slow. And if I really worked on it, I could maybe improve and, improve and get a, a decent jump. And then I went to left field, then I went to right field, and then I ended up in center field. And uh, um, so – it, it wasn't that tough of a transition for obvious reason. Number one, it's there's not as much defensive pressure out there as the infield and catching. But I realized that I could contribute, and it really helped me psychologically, knowing I had a position, and so then the offense just kind of came. So, uh, you know, I have so much – I am so grateful for Bobby <laughs> getting me to the outfield, hanging in there with me, which you know he – that was kind of his trademark was hanging in there with guys, right. giving them an extra chance, and just the Braves organization. So, uh, the you know, the, it just very, very, very fortunate. Um, as far as the the career is concerned, I think the one of the first things I think about is the, being part of the Braves Hall of Fame because of the Braves historic history that this organization has and who I'm in there with. That is a remarkable group and something I'm, again, early in my career, it's like I'm trying to figure out how to stay, and then things worked out. So being a part of the Braves Hall of Fame and Braves organization is something I couldn't be more grateful for. Obviously, the two MVPs were my best years, and the best years as a team when we played, we were competitive and we had a lot of fun. And, and uh, you know, that, that was just, just, you know, that was a blast, 82 and 83. How long after you moved to center field did you did you feel like okay yeah this is going to work I can stick here I mean did it take a long time yeah. or was it pretty quick No it it I I'd have to say I I, I moved there in uh, eighty and uh, um, that year was my first year in the All Star game but I I can't say I really really became what I felt was a good center fielder and outfielder probably till eighty two eighty one was a strike year we didn't play a full season that year. But I think it took me a couple of years to where I felt I could uh, comfortable with where I was playing defensively, that I was really into it because 
challenge with being an outfielder is you can think about your hitting a little too much. And I really got disciplined in saying, okay, I can contribute out here and moving my left fielder and my right fielder, actually moving guys, positioning guys, knowing hitters, knowing our, our pitchers, where to play guys. Uh, guys came in from the bullpen. Like when Gene Garber came in, you had to completely change how you were playing guys. And so it took probably till 82 to where I felt like I know what I'm doing out here. Um, it, it just took a while. And I, I just got to say, after playing in center field, then I moved to right field towards the end of my career a little bit more. But it really made me appreciate appreciate Andrew uh, on what he did in center field. I mean, peop, uh, I, that's what I tell young outfielders, is you can control the game out there. I mean, look how shallow he played. How many runs did he stop from play, being able to play shallow enough, not only throwing guys out at home, but just the third base coach stopping guys because Andrew's right there. Of course, his diving stops and his great plays over the shoulder and against. But, but Andrew, I mean, it just really made me appreciate what he, what he did. He was – we all know he was great, but, it, uh, you know, I, I kind of really understand how great he was as an outfielder. Well, as a, little bit as a pitcher, hands down, Absolutely. playing Absolutely. shallow, for me being a change-up guy, Otis played shallow, Marquise played shallow, Andrew played shallow. To have those guys there to take away all the little junk, that fell in, you know, you played out in Colorado. My my first year was your last year. The number one killer of pitchers in Colorado is that they all feel like they got to play on the warning track because the ball flies. So every piece of junk falls in, and it kills you. Then you walk a guy. Next thing you know, you end up two two you know broken bat singles, and then you get the home run. Yeah. So those guys, an outfielder being able to play close really does make a difference for, for you as a pitcher. And that's what a lot of them don't understand, that we don't want you to play on the warning track. Right. It, it, without watching anybody play, if you're an outfielder, I'd probably say you're playing too deep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, and and uh, uh, the, the pitcher that first started me thinking more about it is instead of just going back where you're feeling comfortable was Gaylord Perry. He said, Murph, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tug on my jersey. If guy gets on second – you look at me, I'm going to turn around and look at you. If I'm tugging on, on my jersey, that means move in five steps. If I keep tugging, that means move another five steps in. He says, because if a guy's going to hit a double off the wall, it's my fault and you can't catch it anyway. But if I get a ground ball up the middle and you're not there to stop that guy from, from scoring at second because you're playing too deep, I got a big problem because I just did what I was trying to do, except he hit it up the middle. So we get a guy on second, and I look at Gaylord. He's like this. I move in. He keeps doing this. I move in more. <laughs> he keeps doing this. And pretty soon you I'm – You pick him off? I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing. I'm holding the guy on second. <laughs> but it, it was just an interesting mindset that a yeah. lot of pitchers don't think or communicate sometimes. You know, that, that – uh, it, it, was, it, was, it, it was a good lesson for me. But, but the great center fielders play shallow, like you, like you say, and – and um, it, it, you know you got to be comfortable with. Hey, it. based just on that that comment, right there, you know what they would do nowadays? They would pull out this piece of card in their pocket, and they'd say, "He'd go, I can't move in. <laughs> <laughs> I got to stay right here. Yeah, <laughs> can't do that anymore." Well, you know, I know there's a lot more information available, but I think generally back in the day, before the internet and computers and and all the things, we we. We kind of knew where guys, you know, where their tendencies were. We had spray we, charts. We went over it. Yeah. I mean, we really did. People, you know, I, I don't want people to think this new defensive positioning, even though they have shifts now, was something new. Yeah, we didn't shift as much. But we went through the lineup. 
on where you want guys to play. And then I loved it when a pitcher took something on himself, like Gaylord, and said, you know, I want you, you know, motioning whatever. I want you to play a little bowl, uh, you know, or to the shortstop. I don't want you to play there with this guy up. Um, so anyway, I, the great center fielders that they had here after I left, I mean, they were really, truly great. Who was the toughest pitcher that you ever faced? Well, I always say J.R. Richard. Uh, you know, he's the first guy that comes to mind. Uh, if you look at his late 70s and early 80s stats, you know, he had a couple years in a row where he was striking out close to 300 guys. So my era, if you played then, a lot of people would say J.R. Even though Nolan was there with the Astros, J.R. was just different. He was taller. He was a little wilder than Nolan. You know, one of those guys. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> But that was an uncomfortable at bat, not, not very much fun. But I faced – people don't realize how much I faced Greg Maddox. I'm so thankful I, we weren't in the Eastern Division back in the day. <laughs> um, and that's a whole other topic of us being in the Western Division because there were some pitchers in the Eastern Division that – and Greg Maddox being one of them um, uh, when we only had two divisions. But we were in the West, and I'm so thankful I didn't have to face Greg Maddox as a pitcher with the Cubs because I didn't – do very well. Surprise. <laughs> I always like this Greg Maddox story. He, you know, I was retired. It, I, when, when did he come here off the top of your head, guys? You 93. 93. Oh, he did come here in 93. Yeah. Okay, I retired in 93. And I go to spring training, you know, four, four or five years later, whatever. I go up to Greg. I go, man, it's so great to have you here with the Braves and all that kind of stuff. And I go, you know, I, I did not like <laughs> – this didn't shock him. I did not like facing you with the, when I faced you at the Cubs and you were, you know, and all that. I said, you know, I think I was two for 24 off of you. And he looked at me and he goes, two for 26. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it's worse than that. Someone Googled it. the other. I think it was like two for 32. I mean, he was, he was the classic guy that, you know, when you asked me toughest pitcher, it was not an, a comfortable at bat off of JR and he but he'd he'd make mistakes. Craig just did not make mistakes as we all know and he'd get you out and you're like, "Well, that was a comfortable offer." You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just was amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good job with that. I know that Greg and Tom was in that boat where yeah. guys felt so comfortable and they would be so mad because they're like, how did I not hit that pitch? I knew he was going to throw it there. I knew he was going to throw yeah. it. And, I couldn't, and yeah. we used to see the same thing with Glav. I mean, he yeah. just was just – he would stay right there. And Well, those guys are Hall of Famers and 300-game winners for obvious reasons. You know, uh, uh, young pitchers, you know, you should Google them and watch, yeah. watch what they did. You know, they did not – they did not throw balls down the middle. <laughs> that, yeah. It was a mistake if it went down the middle. And that takes effort and thought and concentration is you work the corners. You do not give guys anything to hit. Did you ever face Catfish Hunter? Uh, probably spring training. Spring training. But I, he I was always a heard, pitcher's pitcher, as they yeah, say. Yeah, I always heard stories about him where he would start, and I've taught for years, and I used to talk about to my young pitchers starting halves you know, outer half, inner half, and then after you get a strike, then you go to thirds, and then you go to quarters. Good. Then they were yeah. talking about how how Catfish Hunter would start middle in, middle away, and by the end of the game, 
he was getting six inches off the plate right, because right. he just continued to pound the spot he was trying to throw to. And it's human nature that an umpire, if he's used to th- calling strikes, he's going to just start calling strikes. And, and you can work – you used to – could work an umpire that way. That right. if you're in the zone enough, then eventually you start moving out. Number one, the umpire is more happy to – or more apt to call it, but also the, the hitter is more apt to swing. But right. if you do the other thing where you're out here – and the, and the hitter's used to just sitting there with a bat on his shoulder, and the umpire's used to calling balls, he's probably going to keep doing that. Right. And so it just psychologically works the right way. And one thing I noticed about those guys is that they threw a lot of strikes, and we were taught to throw a lot of strikes. Leo harped on us all the time. First, he would say, go first pitch to make these things work. Right. Because if you go first pitch, number one, the statistics go in your favor. Yeah. And and you get better calls, you get a more aggressive hitter because they know they have to swing the bat. Right. Now yeah, it absolutely. seems like that it's just like it it's go ball one because that's what everybody does. Yeah. They're trying to trick you. And, and I said about down the middle, if there was ever a time when, the, you know, obvious there's times when, you know, you got a five-run lead, just throw a strike. Don't start nibbling too much. But maybe first pitch, it, you know, it would be a hittable pitch. Be, I'm, I exaggerated when I said they would never throw a ball down the middle because of the, the importance of getting ahead and throwing a strike. And, uh, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's nothing like pitching ahead, right? You got to pitch from being ahead right. in the count as a pitcher and have that guy be behind. And, and uh, so I faced Glav a little bit. Uh, and Smoltzy a little bit when I went over the Phillies, but uh, yeah, those guys weren't weren't fun to face because you knew that they knew what they were doing, they knew your weakness, and they could pitch to your weakness. In fact, I think even Greg said, "Murph, you got yourself out most of the time." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that was a co- was that a compliment? <laughs> I go, okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, whatever. There's something to be said for that. When well, you, they're yeah, you, you know, you pitch to contact, and you you know what. Is yeah. going to benefit you and the hitter. It's hard. I mean, Hall of Famers are are, are they're losing sixty six point six percent of the time, yeah. right? And and so it's just it's just natural that if you throw the ball, you execute the pitch. More than likely, they're going to get themselves out. Right. If you give up, you know, to score a run, you almost have to get three singles. Right. Right. That's right. hard for a team to do. Right. But you start missing your spots. It just takes a double and a single or it takes one home run. Right. But if you execute then you allow them just to get singles, it's harder to score. Absolutely. Yeah. But when you walk a guy, then you only need a couple singles, right? Right. And right. But if you don't walk anybody, nope. you need three singles. Right. I see, you know, I follow you on, on Twitter, and you tweet a lot about Acuna. You tweeted a lot about him this summer, which has been fun to follow. And I like now just when he hits a homer, it's just, <laughs> just the end with the tilt over yeah, top, and everybody yeah, knows what fun. it means. <laughs> How often – I mean, it seems like you're you're watching more often than not. Are you you watching the team, I mean, almost every night at this point? Uh, uh, well, if if possible, yeah. yeah. And I'm always checking every night, obviously, with uh, – um, as well as they're doing this year. Um and, uh, yeah, I mean, technology is great for a number of reasons. One of them, you can, you know, in your pocket, you got a TV. So, uh, you know, I, I love it. Uh, I, I uh, will say that I, I think there are a couple of things as far as broadcasts are concerned that a lot of people online do complain about. Is the blackout rules a little, little confusing? I, I, I said in one of my blogs somewhere, the value of what we did back in what Ted Turner did 
on TBS was he grew the, not only the Braves franchise, but baseball. People became baseball fans. And, and I, I love the MLB app. I love to be able to get on and all the information too. But, you know, I would like it to be a little bit more um, available uh, somehow, some way. I think that's one thing because as a baseball fan and now someone, uh, you know, connected with the Braves, it kind of, you know, I like to see – you know, as much as I can, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been – I know you've talked about it on Twitter. There was a great article on ESPN a little while back that profiled you and referenced the TBS kids. And, I mean, I'm I'm a, an example of that. I'm one of those TBS kids, grew up in, in Virginia. And, you know, growing up as a kid, the only games that were on, and they were pretty much on every night, were, were the Atlanta Braves. So that's right. how I became a Braves fan. I've got friends who lived in New York, lived all across the country, and they're, they're Braves fans because we're all – TBS kids. TBS I mean, kids, is that yeah. still is it? Do you still meet a lot of TBS kids oh, you, these days? You We're know, all getting a little older, unfortunately. Would, yes. <laughs> but you would not believe how many. It doesn't matter where I am. I was just in the middle of Oregon somewhere, and I'm from Oregon, but in a small town in the middle of Oregon um, a couple of weeks ago, and people watched. They said we either had to become Braves fans or Cubs fans. You know, we became Braves fans. So. Um, you know, I, uh, baseball is very strong regionally. I know ratings regionally. They're very strong in the southeast for the Braves. Uh, as far as marketing is concerned, it, it would be really great to figure out. I know we can't go back to those days, but just to have it more and more available to kids and people to watch more baseball and just have it available. And, and so those were really unique times. Um, but, yes, one story, I was given a talk in F Fargo, North Dakota, and, you know, I said, any, you know, how many of you, you know, watched? It was a baseball fundraiser for something. And I knew there were a bunch of baseball fans there. And how many of you watched Braves games on TBS? You know, this is in Fargo. And, I mean, a whole, a whole bunch of people raised their hand. And then afterwards, a lady came up to me. And she goes, you know, I got to tell you, I lived 20 miles outside of Fargo. But there was a Dairy Queen that was 10 miles from me. When they came out with the Braves Sunday helmet, at the at the local Dairy Queen, I stole a horse. <laughs> and I was like, "Wait a minute! How long ago did I play?" <laughs> she goes, "I stole a horse and rode it ten miles into the local Dairy Queen." Anyway, I got all kinds of stories. It's a, it's a lot of fun just to to talk to people. And during that time, it was a real interesting time uh, for exposure and baseball. Not only Braves country, but just the game. There were. It was really good for the game, and and um, I think baseball could figure out how to get more more and more exposure to the game is is good. Kind of tightening control is I I know you got to be careful. It's it's just hard to I know there's contracts and all those kinds of things, but more exposure for this great game is really good, and uh, those were fun days to be a mm -hmm. part of that. Well, Murph, appreciate you having us here at Murph's. I want to tell all the Braves fans listening, come out to Murph's at Cobb Galleria and uh, get you. some cheese curds. Absolutely. And I did have that uh, bacon burger or bourbon burger, and it was really good, good. With, with your Murph's, egg on top. With Murph's way, yes. yeah. Very, yeah, very good. good. Well, thanks well, for having us. Thanks, being guys. On. Thanks. For, uh, great to be with you. Thanks again to Braves Hall of Famer Dale Murphy for joining us here on Behind the Braves. You know, in listening to Murph talk there, Greg, I, it, 
struck me, you know, here's a guy who played in the 70s, 80s, retired in the in the early 90s. So you would think, well, he's quote-unquote old school, but he really, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way, just, just because of the area he played in, but he's a guy, he really keeps his finger on the pulse of the game, and he cares very much about the future of the game. I mean, he shares his opinion on Twitter and his blog, his columns for The Athletic. I mean, I think having somebody like him who is as respected as anybody you're going to meet in the world of baseball, giving his opinions and being willing to think beyond the air in which he played and care about where the, the game is headed is, is vitally important. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. I think, I think the um, modern player, as we, as we talked about with Snit last week, I think the modern player doesn't want to hear, well, back in my day, this is the way I would do that. That doesn't do anything. I think, but when you can think critically about what's going on, and I heard John say this, John Smoltz, um, that's not about the player really. The player only competes and evolves in the environment that they're in. So if these are the rules and this is the area that you have to work with, the player is going to do whatever he has to do to be the best in the, that confined space. So we see that the rules have changed a little bit as the game has, has developed and, and it differentiated between how it used to be. But Snit does a great job, I think, because he he played – the game a certain way and then he's coaching he's seen the evolution in amazing way um, and I think Dale is just acknowledging that and um, and he's saying yeah I, you know here's my perspective being the same way I, I was a former player and then now I'm watching the game and here's what I like about it and 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 I'm going to think critically about it and and give my opinion and I think fans love that and I think the um, the current players appreciate that because um like i said i remember when i was playing bob feller was around uh when i was a indians minor league guy and all i heard him say was nolan ryan he couldn't hold my jock strap <laughs> i mean you know he he i struck out guy you know so he was always like defending his error mm-hmm. and saying how it was so much better and you know and as a as a modern player at that time I didn't really appreciate that. I didn't really like it. it didn't make me want to go listen to him any more than than um, than I had to. So, but I think Dale, he is always he's a sensitive guy to what's going on, and I think he's very intelligent. And I think it's interesting to hear his perspective because he is looking at it, um, looking at the game today, and and saying, you know, here's the things I like about it. Yeah, and that's great. And that's that's and me personally, I mean, hearing him talk about it, but then you and I and getting to know each other and, and putting together behind the Braves this summer, for me, it's enjoyable just when we're not recording and we're not talking about the show and we're just talking about baseball and I hear your perspective on things and I, I, I feel like, I, you know, I feel like you kind of have that same sense and care for the game that you're, you know, you, you view it through the lens and which a little bit and through the air, like the air that you played, but it's still, you still also are looking at it through, okay, these are how modern players are now and this is how they approach it. And it's mm-hmm. just, I think we need as much of that perspective in the game as possible. Guys from eras, I mean, because I, you know, your era, you, you were in a little bit different era than Murph was. Your big league career just was starting as his was ending. But you both still have that same care and uh, for the future of the game, and I think the more of that we have from guys in different eras or guys that played the game before, it's 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 valuable, and I think it's it's important that we have as much of that around as possible. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's only good for the game to have people debate the game of baseball. You may not like 
this particular brand of baseball, or you I should say you may not prefer it, but it doesn't mean you don't like baseball. I think we all love the game of baseball. And, yeah, I, I might prefer the DH. So I don't like watching American League games as much, but it doesn't mean I don't appreciate what they do, and I don't like the game in general. It's just that I may prefer to have see the pitcher hit. And, you know, and Smoltzy brought that up too um, a couple weeks ago. And I think that's just fun, the fun part about sports, about whether it's politics and whether it's baseball, whatever it is, there's different things in, in life that you can debate with your friends. And and uh, and I think – but when you're talking about baseball, I think that's a good thing. It's only good for the game when you're, you're talking, debating. Just don't let it cross the line to where you're becoming so critical that it's – it's not fun anymore because the last thing you want is somebody shutting down a conversation because they won't they don't want to hear another side of the story or they don't they're not appreciating your perspective i don't like it when people do that you know and i see you see that a lot in politics and that that kind of turns me off a little bit because i think that um you know we're all we're all we all love the game we all love you know the things that we we can appreciate but you know, have good open dialogue about it. Yeah, it's funny you bring up the DH. This was, you know, I've been a pretty much a National League guy my enti- since I was started watching baseball when I was a kid. I've just been a National League guy, so I've always kind of been anti-DH. And it, this is about six or seven years ago at a at a bar in New York City. Me and some friends who were they were they were most of them were on the American League. Their teams were American League and very pro DH. And we got into a I don't want to say heated discussion about DH or not DH, but it almost got to the point where, like where nobody was going to fight or anything. But it was to the point where like we were starting to legitimately get mad at each other, heated you know, passion. over de- over the designated <laughs> hitter. But then you know once once we calmed down a little bit, it, it was like it, it turned into a good discussion. And and side note, a few years now that a few years have passed, I'm I'm not as not as as. I'm open to the, the the discussion of either you know DH in both leagues or 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 whatever. I've I've learned over the years that that debate is good. Just don't don't you know yeah. it doesn't have to get personal, but just discuss the game in a healthy way. Well, if you want to know the real reason why I I don't want the DH is because I always liked that that one out that I can count on. <laughs> yeah, your pitcher. There it is. There it is. I think that's a that's a perfect place to end it. We'll see you next week on Behind the Braves. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.